Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In our efforts to fight the fear of rejection, we end up fighting ourselves, we end up rejecting ourselves. It becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy. You fear rejection and you think that you need to be like everybody else and deny who you are. Well, guess what? You're going to be rejected your whole life. And by who? Yourself. The last person you thought was the bully in the room. I was on the Today Show on the day the book came out and Monica Lewinsky was on the show before I was. She was talking all about self-bullying. There's bullying from the external world and then there's the shit we tell ourselves constantly. Can you imagine saying that out loud? If we were both to write down all the negative things we told ourselves in the last hour and then we had to actually share it with somebody else, imagine saying that to somebody else who's not you. I think it would stop you dead in your tracks. That is essentially what we're doing when we fear rejection and we're misusing this fear as a signal to reject ourselves, to assimilate. That is not what it wants you to do. The fear of rejection is saying, you're not maybe feeling fully connected. You're not feeling maybe loved. So maybe it means you got to go find your people. You need to get moving. You need to appreciate more of who you are and bring that to the forefront. Stop hiding. Stop letting this fear of rejection make you small. Have it make you bigger. If that doesn't work still, then you know what? Go find your people somewhere else. And I have done that. I always say try to work with elegant people if you can. <laughs> You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, 
so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Farnoosh, welcome back to the show. So excited to have you here for an incredible reason. I mean, it's always a great reason to have you on the show, but especially when you have a brand new book out, A Healthy State of Panic. I can't wait to dive into this book because as a first-gen kid, I've been doing a lot of unlearning about being scared of everything because my parents have literally instilled the fear of God and everything from money to making the wrong choice when it comes to dating somebody, leaving your career too quickly, and then they start thinking you're a flight risk in your job. Everything is just based on fear. And so I feel like I've had to do a lot of self-development to not be scared of all the things. But you're actually telling us that fear can be a, a superpower. And, and I'm kind of mind blown by that concept. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I am that first gen kid and I definitely had an overdose of fear growing up of all of the things. And my parents, I think at the time did very intentionally, they wanted me to be afraid so that, that I would not get into trouble and quote unquote, stay safe. But in the meantime, like I had no fun and I took no risks. And I think that what I recognize is that when I took that mindset into my twenties, now I'm on my own. I'm trying to do things on my own and create a life for myself that I couldn't actually over-index with fear. Like that's not the healthy way to use fear. But I think that fear is at its core a healthy adrenaline. It shows up for a reason. It may show up because we have a history or it may show up because there is some truth, some modern day truth to what you're about to do. It could cost you. And I think that you and I, we talk all day about money management and living your best money life. Also, what we're talking about is making smart calculations. And you have to be risk aware when you're making calculations. You have to know yourself and your values and your goals. And I think fear is this abundant resource that we are not leveraging enough. It's a tool that we can actually use to get to those places. When fear shows up, it's telling you a story. And you may not like the story, but you got to face it. This is not about how fear is always going to show you the bright side or fear is always going to show you all of the easy ways to do things. Sometimes it's telling you, you got to do the hard thing. Sometimes it's telling you that maybe these financial narratives that you've been holding onto, you inherited this fear from your mother actually. But isn't it interesting to go down that path and realize like, I didn't even know that it was influencing me so much, but I'm a woman, I'm an independent woman. I have agency, like I love my mother and I appreciate so much of our relationship, but this part, I think I'm gonna take only what I want from it. And also recognizing that maybe our parents did raise us in a different time. 
with less information, with less language, with all the things. So their fears maybe were founded and okay for those times, but life has evolved, you've evolved, fear has evolved. So I go out and I say, you know, fear is a superpower and I do believe, but that doesn't mean that it's always, again, going to be this like optimistic partnership that really it's a partnership that's going to teach you a lot about who you are. And sometimes it's going to be hard, but we got to do the hard work. That's the work. Yeah. So this book feels very personal. I think we get to know much more of your backstory. You talk a lot about your parents and their influence on how you grew up. And I know in my own journey of kind of sharing my story, that can kind of irritate your family a little bit when you're just like putting all their shit out there. Did you have any pushback when you were starting to like reveal a little bit of, you know, maybe the stuff that nobody wanted to be public? Yeah, I had my brother read it because I wanted him to be another close family member who could be like, maybe we shouldn't say that about dad. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we should not say that about mom. I trusted myself, but I also knew that it was important to get some other eyes on the material, including maybe my brother, obviously, but also who knows my parents and who knows maybe another side of the truth or there's always like, there's many versions of a memory and I wanted to honor our experiences and only really use them as ex colorful examples for the reader, for the reader to find herself in these stories. I think knowing that and insisting upon that during the writing process was helpful because inevitably it meant that I wasn't going to write a sloppy memoir that just kind of like exploited my family for the the value of exploitation and like the O's and the ahs that this was like, at the end of the day, you're looking at these characters in my life as tools and as people you want to maybe hang out with and love. I mean, look, we all have many dimensions to us. And I wanted to present my family members in an honest light, but mostly to show how they have been instrumental to me. And sometimes that meant like when we would have arguments and sometimes that meant like when we didn't agree on things, but all those reconciliations have stayed with me and have made me who I am and deserved, I think, a place in the book. I also had a writing coach and I remember asking her occasionally, like, am I throwing my mother under the bus? I just want to make sure I'm not. And she's like, no, actually, I think your mom is kind of the hero in this book, which was not my intention, ladies and gentlemen, but I'd rather that than like my mother being like, I can't believe you wrote this. <laughs> like she has read the book and she's loves it, but it also made her cry and it made her laugh a lot. And she said it was very therapeutic. And it also made her feel like so validated because I was watching her all these years. And I wrote about my reflections of her in my book and the struggles that she had and things that I never communicated with her, but here they are in the book. And I think she was um, bittersweet. Like maybe she was like, oh, we could have had these conversations all these years, but I think she was ultimately happy to know that she was seen for who she was. And I could have only written this book with the years that I have and the time that I've spent reflecting on my family and their journey. Because I think if I was writing this book at 25, it would be a much different take on who my parents are and the choices they made and why the, they made the choices that they made. Yeah, you do need that perspective. And I think obviously you becoming a parent yourself and kind of understanding that relationship now can give you an insight that you probably just wouldn't have understood and been able to really fully express back then. Okay, so your book goes into nine different fears. I'm going to list them out for folks. And then I'm going to dive into a couple of them that really stuck out for me. So you talk about the fear of rejection, loneliness, 
missing out or FOMO, uh, being exposed, uncertainty, money, failure, endings, and losing your freedom. And I'm like, all of those could be like a whole ass book in themselves. So <laughs> the one that I want to dive into first is obviously the fear of money. We talk about money on this podcast and I interact with a lot of folks who have genuine fears when it comes to money. Should I invest or what the hell do I do in my 401k or should I buy a house in this economy, right? So well, how has the fear of money played into your own personal life? And what do you think are the biggest lessons that you can share for folks when it comes to navigating that fear? Personally, the fear of money for me has been so helpful. It's encouraged me to go out there and be an advocate and really protect my livelihood and do the right things. It doesn't mean I haven't failed. It doesn't mean I haven't gotten into debt. I've done all the bad things. But I think ultimately this fear is like for me, like it's a nag that's like trying to steer me back to a place of feeling like I can take care of myself, that I'm going to create security for myself. And it's rooted in my upbringing again as my mother's daughter watching her not have financial autonomy in her marriage for a lot of her years married to my dad and realizing that I don't want to be that version of her ever in my life. I don't want to take that with me into my adult life that actually, okay, I guess I got to like make my own money and this is it. You know, if I want to feel empowered in my life, because they would argue all the time about money, I would see her cry and it was just, it was awful. And so that lesson for me was you got to do the opposite. I think for anybody who's feeling the fear of money, and first of all, what is the fear of money? Can we talk about that? Like I talk about a lot of these emotions in the book, like the fear of loneliness and rejection and FOMO. These are like states of mind, but money is not, it's not even anything, right? It's just a tool. It's currency. You can't even put it in your hands anymore. I go to the ATM once a week and that's about it. And when I say you're afraid of money, I think what we're really talking about is your relationship with money that you're afraid of. And a lot of us have an unknowing relationship with money. We don't know it. We don't learn it. We don't study it. We're not educated. And so if you are afraid of money, I think it's sometimes a sign. The fear is telling you there's a void. What is the void? Maybe it's that you have to go and learn. That's the first step. Learn about it. And not just about like compound interest and investing, but also like your relationship with money. Why do you feel the way that you feel with money? It is perhaps a lack of literacy, but there might also be an emotional underpinning to that. There might be a story there that's sourced from childhood, that's sourced from a relationship that is feeding and fueling this fear. Unpacking that is just as important as going out there and getting the facts. Absolutely. Understanding your money story is at the root of how we start to reshape it. Mm -hmm. rewriting your narrative. I was in my 30s and playing small and I was doing fine. Look, I had what I thought was enough. I had enough to support my family and I had a great career. And the thought though of trying to go out there and do more than what I had terrified me because I felt like it was going to come at a huge cost. I wouldn't be liked. I would be seen as too greedy. Like you should just be happy for what you have. Don't push the envelope. And I realized like these are like voices in my head that go way back. I heard these things or I, I sensed these things as a kid. And then as a teenager, and then as a 20-something dating who I was told, don't tell the guys that you're successful because they're not going to want to take you on a second date or that you have ambition and they're not going to want to date you. So I had never quite reconciled being this woman who wanted for money and wanted for success and believed that she was also then worthy of 
other types of success, like relationship success and love success. And here I am, I'm a financial expert, I'm an author, I'm a breadwinner in my marriage, and I'm still, there's a part of me that like is relentless, this fear of not being able to um, endure as who I am with this woman who seemingly has it all, if she wants to go out there and get more of it, wants more of the success, more of the money, like maybe I need to cut myself off. And then I did. And I said, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep status quo because I don't wanna risk what's potentially on the other side of that. And I realized that that is an antiquated narrative, but also a modern narrative. Like we are fighting some real fights. Like it is what, what I grew up with as the daughter of being in the Iranian culture. There weren't a lot of breadwinner moms. There weren't even any moms who worked. And then even in our society today, in America, media culture, it doesn't really portray, at least not in a loving way, you know, women who are out there like making all the money. And I think now, of course, we have sort of like the, this movement of like female financial independence, but it's quite modern. I want everyone to know this is not something that I like, definitely, I did not grow up with this. This is like in the last 10 years. And so this was before that. And I was sort of like, oh my gosh, I'm risking this. And I realized that I have inherited these fears from the external world. These are not my fears. And now I have the choice and the power to rewrite this narrative because me being richer, it will make the world a better place. That's the narrative I rewrote. Like my family will benefit, my community will benefit, my children and their children will benefit. Like that's important and that's worth fighting for. I still had a fear of pursuing all of this and sacrificing my time, sacrificing my relationships, my energy. So then I honored that. I said, I wasn't like, okay, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do this, but I'm going to recognize what I want to protect in this journey. I want to get richer, but not at the expense of relationships and time. That doesn't mean I don't do it. It means I have to create a blueprint that might not quite exist, but I'm going to try for it. So I did a few things and I talked about this at your conference in January in, in Puerto Rico. I said, I just raised my prices. That's it. <laughs> I'm going to work less and make more. I mean, it doesn't take time. It takes deciding. It takes a little bit of like being uncomfortable with the fear of failure and the fear of rejection. But I think if you bat enough, you get a home run, one or two. You don't need all the home runs. You need just a few. And that worked. And then I hired an assistant, which was a bit of a gamble. But I also, in my mind, was like, if it doesn't work out for the six months, we'll part ways, no harm done. But it ended up being quite the investment. And it ended up giving me the space, the time, the capacity to work on bigger projects that needed more seating and needed me being out there and networking and not like managing my Google calendar. I just realized that there is my way of doing things. And this is what fear does. It's always turning us inward. Like, what's up with you? What do you want to protect? Why do you feel this way? Is there something you're not recognizing that is important in this moment? Because the stakes are high. We're talking about money in our careers and our relationships. Like fear is valid. And I want that feeling for everybody. I don't want anyone who feels fear in any of these moments to feel like they're weak. Yeah. It's your body's alert system that, hey, we should pay more attention to something because there's something up here. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the fear of uncertainty, right? Because there's a lot of folks who are aspiring entrepreneurs or actual entrepreneurs that listen to the show. And I think one of the biggest common things that we have to face is just the uncertainty of our success. Is this going to work? Is this a good idea? Is this money going to be well spent? What advice do you have as a fellow entrepreneur to navigate that fear of uncertainty? Like when is it the right time to say, okay, I just should not do this <laughs> versus proceed with caution, but do it anyway. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For me, I like to see a few pieces of evidence before I pursue something that is maybe a little scary, but I want to make sure that if I'm going to decide whether I'm going to do it or not, I need to know that, first of all, it is self-aligned, like I would like to do this. There is proof in the market that this could be successful, evidenced by other people's success with something. And that while it's uncertain and things could not work out well, I'm very clear on how I'm gonna be measuring my success. I wanna measure my success for this project, for this endeavor in such a way where I'm almost guaranteeing success. I walked into a partnership a couple of years ago with a media company and Statistically, mergers and acquisitions don't always end well. And this wasn't like a major merger or acquisition, but I looked at it like sort of like joining forces with another company. I am a company, so it was kind of like a merger. And I had a really good post-nup and a prenup. I was like, this is probably not going to work out. And so I'm going to make sure that I'm realistic and that we're going to create a document that says that if and when things don't work out and I leave sooner than later, that I'm going to leave with all my assets. Basically, I can go back to what I'm doing seamlessly in very short amount of time. And while I'm doing this thing, what I want to get out of it is a few things. I want to grow my podcast. I want to start writing more creatively. I want to work with the team, which I did all of those things. So even though this project didn't continue, which is maybe a failure, I experienced a lot of success with it. And I think because I went in already knowing what I could extract from this that was certain, that is how I'm going to define whether this succeeds or not. Like sometimes we just set ourselves up for failure because maybe we didn't do enough research, but also we're not working with the right people. We're not realistic about what's possible. Like if I went in there and I was like, I'm going to do this partnership and in a year I'm going to have a million followers. I'm going to make all this money. It's like, I mean, that would be nice, but can you control any of that? Not really. So what can you control in the situation when the fear of uncertainty shows up? It's really asking you to protect your certainty and to protect your sense of success and that's may sound crazy, but you can control a little bit of that. You have resources. You're good at planning. You're good at being realistic. So implement those things because that's how you're going to navigate through it. And look, it could still not work out. Like I'm no longer with the media company, but you're going to be on the other side of that. Like I am with your dignity intact, feeling a sense of accomplishment and not that it was this regretful experience. It was, as I say, it was a, it was an experiment. And like all experiments, you go in with a hypothesis, you seek the truth, and then you conclude. And the conclusion could be not what you thought, but you completed the experiment and that's what matters. I love it. Okay, let's talk about the fear of endings. I can absolutely relate to that from the perspective of being afraid to get divorced, being afraid to change my job, being afraid to move because that means I'm not so close to my family, right? There's always this like fear that we have around making a change, even though we might know it's time. What advice do you have for us to navigate those periods in our life where we know something's got to change, something's got to go, this season has expired, but damn, am I scared of what's next? 
part of what makes endings so hard, especially the ones that you describe, like relationships, ones that involve maybe career, we don't want to be on the other side of that ending with any regrets. And I read a great book during my writing process called The Power of Regret by Dan Pink. And I excerpted it in my book in the chapter of the fear of endings, because what I want to say is that if you're fearing an ending because you're fearing regret, don't forget that regret can be an incredibly powerful teacher. We should not fear the regret, but we should be smart about how we reflect on experiences and how we, like we're so obsessed with like no regrets in our culture. And Dan Pink is like, that's just like the silliest thing because regret, what are you doing when you regret? You are reflecting on an experience and you're reimagining how it could have gone different. And rather than focusing on things that you could have done, you should have done, think about maybe what was lost because that's going to be painful and that's actually what's going to teach you what to do next. Regret is a powerful teacher because it is an informant. It What you experience and focusing on the negative sometimes is so important because it is what is going to give you the playbook for how you're going to enter into the next beginning, how you're going to go into the next chapter in your life. Endings are also as gutting as they are and as grief stricken as they are. I think that there's a point where you realize this ending has created an opening for me. And you got to walk through that. That's the opportunity. When my CNBC show ended in 2016, I mean, first of all, it was a really tough experience putting that show on the air. It was extremely rewarding. It was very hard. And I thought it was great, but so many stars have to align in order for a television show, first of all, to happen. And then to get a second season, it's like, it's so, so rare. And so when they canceled the show, I struggled with a sense of this fear of endings because I feared what it would say about me. Will I ever do anything as great again? Have I peaked? And I'm only in my mid thirties. And I realized, look, what I'm fearing, I can't control this. I'm fearing like something that wasn't even actually real. I'm fearing the end of something that wasn't actually real. This was an experiment. This show, I imagined in my head going on and on and on to build this like career for myself and I was going to hang my hat on it. It's like, that never happened. So it never actually ended. It was just an experience. But you know what? Without the travel, without the stress of doing that show, I did have some openings in my life and I wanted to feel a sense of growth in my life again. That's really what I was yearning for. And I realized this is a great time and space to grow our family. So I made a commitment in my mind. I said, if this show does not get renewed, I know exactly what I'm going to do next. With this ending, I'm going to start a new beginning and that's going to try for another kid. And our daughter was born a year later. So I think you have to make peace with the endings in your own way. My mother, when her mother died, it was very tragic. But after my grandmother passed away, my mother's living in California. My grandmother passed away in Iran. My mom travels back to her house in California. She's washing dishes one day. And this little bird comes outside of the kitchen window and makes a nest and is pecking and pecking and pecking at the window. My mother at first, she's just like this annoying bird. Like, I don't know what's going on. But in her mind, as this bird was very insistent and very chatty, like her mom was, my mom decided that this bird was perhaps a sign from above. And maybe it was her mom reincarnated or, or 
not everyone's going to have that association, but for my mother, she's very spiritual. She's very mythical. I think that she believed in that. She chose to believe in that because for her, it was her way of working through this ending and realizing that although her mother's life has passed away physically, that her life can carry on in so many ways. And so she doesn't have to be stuck in this ending. She can move through. And she was inspired by this bird, but like we have to find these inspirations in our lives and we have to do that work and we have to be committed to that. And it's going to be different for everybody, but know that these opportunities are out there. And when one thing expires or ends, then the ground becomes fertile for something new and you got to be ready for that. And I hope that you will see it as an opportunity and to honor that ending as you are building this future. Yeah. So you tell a really hilarious story about your first appearance on the Today Show in the book. And it reminds me of just, we all have this moment where we think that this or nothing, if I fuck this up, it's a wrap. This whole thing is going to shit. Tell us the story for folks who haven't already picked up their copy of the book. And what was the biggest lesson that you learned from that experience? So that story is embedded in the chapter, the first chapter, the fear of rejection. And I was 28 years old, newly authored, and I'm debuting my first book on the Today Show. What an opportunity. Better not F this up. And so I went in with a lot of trepidation, a lot of self-doubt, and I thought that I was going to get laughed out of the room. I like envisioned it. I was like, there's no way. It's just like, I'm so out of my league, but here I am. How I'm going to control the, the situation is I'm going to try to act like somebody else. I'm not. I'm going to study all the people who have been on the Today Show and have been repeat guests and try to mimic their speed, their word choices, their outfits. I just didn't know what else to do. I just didn't trust that I was enough. I didn't trust that I could come on there and like talk and use my ums and my likes. And, you know, I remember because like a boss at the time who I was working with, he was like, you kind of loose with your language. Like you should, you say woulda and shoulda. And I think you should make those two words. And I was like, <laughs> All right, white man, <laughs> white middle-aged man, middle management, mediocre man. I was like, this is why they're actually having me on the show because I'm not Dave Ramsey. Right. <laughs> so nevertheless, I get on the Today Show and I'm trying, I'm posing, right? I'm like trying to do this, like these are robotic movements. And I get asked a very softball question. It was Meredith Vieira. She's trying to get me to do a home run. And she's like, so what I'm getting from your book is that people your age, your peer group, they don't want to learn about money from someone my age. They want to learn from someone like you who's really in the trenches with them. And I said, yeah, Meredith, we don't want to learn from someone who's like three times our age. And she said, I'm sorry. She said, excuse me. Everyone laughs and she's kind of smiling and I am mortified. <laughs> I am like roasting under the lights on the Today Show live. All I want to do is run away and I can't because there's at least three and a half minutes left to this segment. And in that moment, you can only imagine the adrenaline and like this very loud voice in my head that was like, you dummy. All this negative self-talk, but it was like, just stick your landing to Robbie. Like, can you just get back to, can you reframe? Can you recalibrate? And, you know, I had used every trick in my bag of tricks that I brought to the Today Show that day and they were not working. And so I just I had to just fall back on my own antics, which was being myself and speaking like I speak. And I'd written the book. I knew my material. So I just did that. And I got to home plate finally. And 
when we cut to commercial and I'm sitting there getting de-miked, I'm just thinking, I'm going to go back to the newsroom and get so laughed out of the newsroom. The producer, Patricia, comes over to me and slowly grabs my arm and I'm like, this is it. They're getting me to the, uh, to the town car security. And she's like, I just want you to know, I'm like, oh, here it is. I just want you to know that the executive producer would like to have you back. And I was like, I'm sorry, did he go grab a muffin in the commissary while we were having this, <laughs> this catastrophe on air? And she's like, look, it was funny. You showed who you are. And like, I think in the moment too, I put my hand over my mouth and I was like, kind of, you know, it was like a whole moment. I think ratings actually. <laughs> you knew what happened <laughs> right when it happened. <laughs> yeah. And I went on the Today Show multiple times after that. And what I learned, here's the lesson, is that in our efforts to fight the fear of rejection, we end up fighting ourselves. We end up rejecting ourselves. It's like, it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. You fear rejection and you think that you need to be like everybody else and deny who you are. Well, guess what? You're going to be rejected your whole life. And by who? Yourself. The last person you thought was the bully in the room. I was on the Today Show on the day the book came out this week and Monica Lewinsky was on the show before I was. And she was talking all about self-bullying. There's bullying from the external world. And then there's the shit we tell ourselves constantly. And can you imagine saying that out loud? Like if we were both to write down all the negative things we told ourselves in the last hour, like, oh, you're so this, you're that. And then we had to actually share it with somebody else. Oh my gosh. Imagine saying that to somebody else who's not you. I think it would stop you dead in your tracks. And that is essentially what we're doing when we fear rejection and we're misusing this fear as a signal to reject ourselves, just assimilate. That is not what it wants you to do. The fear of rejection is saying, you're not maybe feeling fully connected. You're not feeling maybe loved. So maybe it means you gotta go find your people. You need to get moving. You need to appreciate more of who you are and bring that to the forefront. Stop hiding. Stop letting this rejection, this fear of rejection make you small, Make it have it make you bigger. And if that doesn't work still, then you know what? Go find your people somewhere else. And I have done that. I always say, try to work with elegant people if you can. <laughs> I had the exact same experience when I was asked to do a Spanish language interview the first time. I was like, shitting my pants. I'm like, wait a minute. All of a sudden, I'm supposed to be the Spanish language representative of the entire personal finance conversation. Like I, I was just putting so much pressure on myself to be the perfect Telemundo news anchor speaking Spanish, even though like, I didn't know half the words how to say like, investment in Spanish. I'm like Googling all this shit, creating a whole script. And of course, I have a whole ass meltdown the first time that we do it to the point where we have to like record the thing twice. I'm like breaking out in hives. And then I say, you know, I'm never doing this again. Meanwhile, I got invited back like three more times. But every time after that, I said, I'm absolutely not doing whatever the hell that was. I'm going to speak my Selena Spanglish. We're going to use English words when that's all we can rely on. They can absolutely put captions underneath my video if they have to, because I've seen them interview people who don't even speak Spanish on the show. So why am I putting all this freaking pressure on myself? And I think we end up becoming our worst enemies in these situations. Oftentimes, like we are our biggest critics. And sometimes that can be like the difference between us showing up again when the opportunity does present itself again, or just like you said, self-rejection and be like, no, I'm not even going to put myself out there again. When my first book came out, they were like, can you come on? I forget the name of the channel, but it's all Farsi speaking. Iranians speak Farsi. And I said, uh... 
can I get a translator? And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't speak it well enough to like actually talk about money on live television in Farsi. Like, please. Yeah. And it is what it is. So I'm curious, what do you think that this body of work now, right? Because this is a memoir as much as it is a guide on how to navigate life when it comes to fear. How has this putting yourself out there in this way maybe made you reflect on things you would have done in the past when it comes to fear? I mean, there are so many instances, like I wish I had been more of an advocate for myself in my 20s. I wouldn't have been so gun shy in the dating world. I wouldn't have given my mom such a hard time, I think, because now she would always say to me, wait till you're a mom one day. And I'm like, yeah, I, if I knew what I know now back then, these are the things that I would do. I can't say that I would have known enough back then to do these things. And that's why I wrote the book, right? I think that there are many people who have left reviews saying, man, I wish I'd had this book five years ago. I'm going to give it to my niece. I'm going to give it to my younger sister. And I think that I couldn't have written this book had I not gone through those mess ups come on the other side of things. Yeah. I love it. Do you have a personal mantra now that is related to navigating fear that you repeat to yourself? Don't be afraid of fear. You have it's the opposite of you have nothing to fear but fear itself. Uh, so nothing against Franklin Roosevelt, who was the president during the Great Depression, who spoke at his inauguration and said, you have nothing to fear but fear itself. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm terrified, Mr. President. I can't even put food on the table tonight. I mean, I think that you have a healthy amount of fear there. If you're afraid of supporting your family and yourself, like let that fear get you to the money. Mm -hmm. Well, Farnoosh, again, um, the fact that you've been able to crank out not one, but now this is your fourth book. So many flowers for you because I now personally know like how difficult it is to just put together one, let alone multiple and always brilliant works. So thank you for continuing to show up in this space as a really important voice that gives many women, including myself, permission to show up and have these hard conversations and navigate these spaces where we haven't seen ourselves represented. And I'm wishing you so much success for folks that want to find the book. Where can we get it? Do you have any specific links you want to draw our attention to? Now's the time. Let us know. Thank you, Janice. And thank you everyone for tuning in. If you are interested to learn more about the book, I have a website, ahealthystateofpanic.com. You can learn all about it there. And uh, you have an audiobook as well? Yes, it's audiobook and hardcover. And I think there'll be a paperback in our future, but don't wait to read this book. Don't wait to read the book. And if you're loving this conversation, absolutely tune into the So Money podcast as well, where you can get three doses of Farnoosh every single week. You are reading the audiobook, right? Because I would not have it yes. any other way. I don't know if I could have done it otherwise. I wouldn't <laughs> have done it any other way. Yeah, that'd be weird. Amazing. All right. Well, go ahead and include all those links in the episode show notes. Be sure to get your copy of A Healthy State of Panic wherever you buy books. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.